Okay, we're in Acts chapter 2 again. It's a, it's a long chapter. We're going to try to get through a little bit more of it. Here in Acts chapter 2, we've talked about how the disciples were waiting for the Comforter to come. They didn't really know what they were waiting for, but they were in the upper room praying, and the Holy Spirit came and baptized them and filled them, and they began to speak in tongues that people from all different nations began to understand in their own language. In addition, there was a loud noise, a wind, tongues of fire resting upon them. It was a great sign that took place that day. And this was the birth of the church as we know it today. So the church that we're living in today, say in the 2000s, right, is the same church that was born that day on the day of Pentecost. This is the third phase of the Bible, we could say. The first phase in the Old Testament was Israel trying to follow the laws of God as he laid forth. He gave birth to the nation of Israel, and then he gave them laws, he gave them guidelines, and he began to speak to them in the Old Testament. But he was a God who was far off in the Old Testament. He was on the top of Mount Sinai. He was in the furthest room inside the temple in smoke and flame and fire. He was a mysterious God who spoke through certain prophets. If you wanted to hear from God, you went to the prophet or you waited for the prophet to come to your town and speak what God wanted for your town or for your life, perhaps, if you were fortunate to hear that. But most of it was daily trying to uh, live according to the laws that he had been giving. You know, follow the Ten Commandments, especially the Sabbath laws, and trying to be good. But there was no atonement for the sins then. There was only covering of sins through sacrifices. That was the Old Testament. And as you get toward the Old Testament, end of the Old Testament, you know, the voice of God begins to disappear. There's a big gap between the Old Testament and the time when Jesus comes in the Gospels, where, you know, there really wasn't much uh, heard from God. They were so bound in legalism and religion, and it was so dead at that time. It didn't mean there weren't faithful people. Of course there were but it became a period of dead religion. And then you have the four Gospels and into the first chapter of Acts, where Jesus comes and his purpose is to present God as a man. And so when he did that, he showed through his life, through his ministry, through his actions, through his teachings, everything he did, what God was really all about. They only knew him in the Old Testament way, but Jesus was presenting to them the characteristics and the nature of God in the flesh. And what were those characteristics? Love, compassion, forgiveness, wisdom, teachings, healing them, eating with them, spending time with them, just teaching them how to follow God in a better way. And he was such a, a, a wonderful man, of course, we know, because he was the Son of God. But to be with him and walk with him for three years and to see all that he did and all of his wisdom and all of the love and kindness and acts of miracles and things that he did was just amazing. And that's what Jesus wanted to show the people what God was really like. This is what he's like. He's filled with love and compassion and forgiveness and kindness. And he wants to heal you. He wants to help you. He wants to minister you. To you. He wants to teach you and help you with your life. That's the nature of God. And so that's the second phase of the Bible, is the life and ministry of Jesus. And then Jesus 
yeah, of course, ascends into heaven after he rises from the dead. And then the third phase of the Bible begins here in the second chapter of Acts when the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, comes and he fills the people. And that's what we even have until today. The church today was born then in the second chapter of Acts when the Holy Spirit came and filled them with great signs. Right, So the church today is characterized by knowing our Heavenly Father. We pray to our Heavenly Father. We have access to our Heavenly Father through the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why we can go to God and pray to Him directly, without a prophet, without a high priest, without a tabernacle, without a a temple. We can go to our Heavenly Father and say, I can come to you, God, I know, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that he made a way for me to talk directly to you. Now the Holy Spirit comes, and he has a work to do in our lives. He fills us, so no longer do we go to a temple to worship God and to feel his presence. We can. I mean, we can go to church and feel his presence, and of course we should. We can go there and pray, we can have fellowship, we can sing songs together, we can hear the word spoken. All of that is essential for us to grow as a Christian. However, the real growth as a Christian comes because of what Paul said, that now we have become the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we're like that building in the Old Testament where fire came down and filled it. In the New Testament, we become that building individually where the Holy Spirit, because of Jesus' sacrifice, comes and fills us and changes us inside. So no longer do we have to listen to people tell us what's right and wrong, but the Holy Spirit convicts us from within to live a life that's pleasing to God. So this work that the Holy Spirit does is phenomenal. And I want to say that, you know, the signs and wonders are what everybody's interested in. Everybody wants to see healings. People would like to see resurrections from the dead. Of course, they don't want to volunteer to die to be resurrected, but they would like to see a resurrection. Me too. I'd like to see lots of them. Healings and, I don't know, signs and wonders. They'd like speaking in tongues and visions and dreams and gifts of knowledge and interpretation. They like wisdom. They want all of those great signs. But honestly, the greatest work that the Holy Spirit does one of transformation inside our lives because our life, when we know Christ from, or when we first know Christ, is different as we go along through time. The Holy Spirit continues to work in our hearts to transform us into something different than we were. It's really wonderful. Sometimes that transformation helps, starts really fast, you know, and we begin to change right away. But there's always a change and a transformation taking place in our life because he never stops working in us and perfecting us and helping us to know God and to serve him better and to be a better follower of Christ. So the Holy Spirit comes and he empowers us to live a better life as a Christian. In addition, he gives us those signs that we would call gifts of the Holy Spirit. And here, you know, Peter's starting to preach and he talks about the signs and wonders that are taking place and what's going to take place and how it's a fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament. But also, 
the Holy Spirit has another list of characteristics called the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And in those, we find a whole different set of uh, blessings for us, we could say. They're peace and patience and kindness and long-suffering and gentleness and meekness and love. These things, you know, joy. Wow, imagine getting joy. Try to find joy in the world. You can't, but the Holy Spirit can bring real joy to our lives. So these are the other things that are not so external like spiritual gifts. They're more internal things that we have in our life. Things that the world is craving today are things that the Holy Spirit freely brings to us when he baptizes us and fills us. Wow, it's really great. Then I want to say that the transformation may not always be a long process because this story in the second part of the second chapter of Acts, you know, Peter takes center stage here. Now let's talk about Peter for a second because Peter is a really good example for us to understand the real transformation of a Christian and what takes place when the Holy Spirit baptizes him. Because Peter, unlike the other apostles, his faults are really pointed out in the Bible. All the mistakes he made. I guess the word I use for Peter is impetuous. He always acts first and thinks second. And I don't really have a problem with that. I like action. I like people who say, hey, let's do it. What are some examples? He jumped out of the boat because he saw Jesus walking on the water. Go for it, Peter, right? <laughs> and he walked on the water for a little bit until he saw the storm around him and he became afraid. What else? He, when After Jesus had raised from the dead and he was on the, on the shore making you know, dinner for them, the fish and the bread, and they recognized him, everybody rode to shore, but Peter jumped out and swam to shore. And the Bible even says, but we all arrived at the same time. It's good, but Peter jumped out because he didn't want to wait. He thought he could get there quicker. He wanted to be the first to see Jesus once they recognized him. Or on the on the temple, or not on the temple now, but on the on the mountaintop, right? The mountain of transformation, when transfiguration rather, when Jesus was transfigured before them. Peter says, Oh, let's build some cabins and let's stay here. You know, let's never go back down. And of course, that wasn't the will of God. And my favorite is when they came to arrest Jesus, he pulled out the sword and cut the centurion's ear off. And Jesus had to pick the ear up off the ground and put it back on the guy's head and, you know, and heal him. So you see, he always had these actions that the Bible really spells out the flaws in his character. And even later, Paul says, oh, I confronted him face to face because he was a hypocrite. You know, so he had those faults. However, Peter, with all of his faults, stood up and gave the first sermon of the church. In this phase of the Bible, the church is born, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and Peter begins to preach. And he begins to preach about Christ and talking about the failures and the faults that the nation of Israel had made. And now they had killed Jesus, but he rose from the dead and he begins to, he begins to preach this really powerful message. And he says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death 
because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So you see, and then he begins to quote scriptures from the Old Testament. And of course, he doesn't have a Bible, right? The Bible's not around yet. There were scrolls of the Old Testament that, you know, if you wanted to wind them and wind them and look for a passage, no. But these are coming to him. He's understanding that this is all the fulfillment of God's plan. And he's beginning to preach this message to the, the Jews who are assembled there for the Feast of Pentecost from all over the world, the known world at that time. They're there to hear what Peter says and preaching the first message. This is what the Holy Spirit does in the life of people who have faults and failures and mistakes in their life. The Holy Spirit still can use them, faults and failures and, and all. Isn't that great? Because none of us can say that we're worthy to be used by God. None of us can put ourselves in a position where to say, okay, now God can use me because I've done such a great work in my life. No. We can be used by God because we're filled with faults and failures. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, God can transform us and make us into something we never would have imagined we could be. And that's someone, a tool, um, a force in the hands of God. And never to take credit, right? No, no, Peter is not great. That's why God pointed out his failures. There was nothing special about Peter. God used Peter. He could have used any of them. And he used Peter, I think, because probably he was one of the weaker vessels and so God showed and demonstrated how strong he is in the weakness of our lives. So don't take, uh, don't, don't be hard on yourself. Don't say, oh, you know what, God can't use me because I'm not this, I'm not that. You know, Moses was used and he, he complained to God, I can't even speak. Send Aaron. So God had to send both of them, one to, to do God's will and the other to speak on Moses' behalf. So God picks broken sinful people and those who can do nothing for themselves but understand that it's through Jesus that we can do anything. It's through Jesus that we're saved and cleansed and made pure again. And because of that, the Holy Spirit can then use us in our lives. So as Peter is preaching this message, of course, because it's you know, the first sermon of the church, it's bound to have a very powerful effect. And in fact, it says that when they heard this, 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 these things, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostle, brothers, what shall we do? And he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, you see, when the Holy Spirit was operating, 
all of them were cut to the heart. And this is one message that really comes from God, one that cuts to the heart of the unbeliever who enacts a, a desire to be different, a, a desire to change and to be right in the eyes of God. And what do they have to do? Repent. Wow, how wonderful for us. You know how long repentance takes? A millisecond. If we could put a time on it, it takes no time at all. To get saved is just a blink, not even a blink of the eye. You know, if you think about it, all in our heart, the motive to be saved, to repent and ask for forgiveness is not a prayer that we say with our lips, but it's a motivation in our heart that Jesus and God, they see, they see, and they save us. And that's an act that the Holy Spirit does. So here's another job that the Holy Spirit's doing in the world today is to draw people to Jesus Christ. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and he preached the Word of God empowered by the Holy Spirit. He showed how the Scriptures were being fulfilled. He used the Bible to guide them, to show them the truth. And why were they cut to the heart? Because Peter was a good speaker, or because the words were powerful? No, it's because the Holy Spirit was acting in their life, drawing them to Christ bringing this reaction to them, what must I do? What can we do? You know, it was a, a, a desperate cry. What can we do? And so he said, just repent and be baptized. So they repented of their sins. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they all began to have a new life immediately. And he said, it's not just for you. This promise is for you and for your children and for those who are far off. You know, that's really nice because... Not only am I able to receive such a great blessing from God, but my children can too. It's a promise for them. It doesn't end. The promise continues. And for their children. And even, I like the last part of this verse even better, for those who are far off. So he's talking, that he didn't even know it then, right? He's talking probably about the Gentiles, because that wasn't even a consideration that they were going to be followers of Christ at that time. This was a Jewish religion still. And so those who are far off, who was farther away than a Gentile in a foreign country, off in Greece or Spain or somewhere like that, or in America or England or Africa or South America? Who's farther off than that? Who would actually receive the promise of the salvation of Jesus Christ and the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Also, we should remember, far off today, because today no one's really far off. We can turn on the internet, turn on the radio, turn on the TV, and you can hear the gospel almost anywhere. Those who are far off are those who are far off from God. They're not living a life of sanctity. They don't know God. They don't serve Him. They don't follow Him. If you ask them about Jesus or the Holy Spirit, they wouldn't even understand what you're talking about. They're far away. And yet... The Holy Spirit comes because he wants to draw them close as well. The promise is for them too. That day, the church took off. So many got saved. So many began to believe. And he said to them, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls to the church. Do you know, God wants to save everybody. He wants to save you. He wants to save your children. He wants to save those who are far off and far away from God. 
And that's the great hope that we have in Christ. That's why His Holy Spirit came, so that He could draw you to Christ. And I want to just say, thank, thank you, Lord, for this great blessing you gave to us to comfort our hearts in this world and to give us such a blessing to change and transform our lives.